Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Glad y'all are here this morning. Um, If you were here last week, uh, you know we started a new series we're calling The Devil's Details. Uh, If you weren't here, you can certainly go back, check that out on on YouTube or the podcast or however you want to listen to it. Um, But we started a new series where we're talking, kind of unpacking who Satan is, where he came from, how he operates. And last week, we learned where he came from, that at one point, he was an angel in heaven worshiping God. Pride got the best of him, and so God had to kick him out of heaven And along with him, a third of the angels fell as well, and now these are demons, and they do his bidding on earth. Really, there's two worlds that are going on all at the same time, all of the time, the spiritual world and then the physical world that we live in. And in the spiritual world, there is a battle uh, that's that's raging for for you, uh, because God loves you that much, because Satan's mad, and so he continues to battle. Today, I want us to not talk about where he came from or necessarily all of the details of, of who he is, but I want to talk about kind of his game plan and how he tries to operate in our life. Because one of the things that I know is that when you know how some, someone works, you can be better prepared when you're dealing with them. There's a reason why coaches watch game film of the team that they're about to play. Because if they know how that other team works, they can be prepared when they do whatever it is they're, they're going to do. They can, they can be ready. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump in. God, I thank you so much for every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I thank you that they are so precious to you and that you care about them so much. God, I pray that they would feel, feel that this morning. Um, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be made much of this morning. God, speak to our hearts. You know us, um, and so you know what we need. God, give us what we need this morning. Thank you that your word, when it is spoken, never returns void. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, How many of you have kids that play Little League sports? Anybody? We have uh, a kid who plays Little League baseball. Baseball is a big part of our family. Um, it's, uh, is, is it just baseball or do all sports, do you play them all like eight nights a week? Is that, is that everything? And so it literally eats up like all of, all of your time, but these are the best days of his life. Enjoy it. Okay, I'll try. But when I was, when I was growing up, I, I played uh, literally baseball. I l- still love baseball. I still watch baseball. I still think about baseball. I love the game. Um, but when I was playing, we would, uh, we had a rule where amount of players in order to play the game. And so, because kids get sick and they don't have their own cars, sometimes they wouldn't make it. And so what would happen is sometimes the team that we were about to play didn't quite have enough players to play the game. And so what they would have to do is they would have to forfeit, right? They would have to forfeit, which basically means that we win. Easy win, right? But what we, what we would do is because we're, we're kids and we want to play baseball is we would still go ahead and play the game. So sometimes they would borrow a couple of our players or something like that. But even though they had already lost and it was determined beforehand that they weren't going to win, do you think that stopped them from trying to score as many runs as possible? No. And I've always kind of thought about that when it comes to Satan's activity in our life. 
The fact that he knows that in the end he loses does not stop him from trying right now. The fact that he knows that in the end, like we talked about last week, he is eventually kicked into the lake of fire to never return again. Just the fact that he knows that does not stop him from interacting into your life and still being out for, for blood. He's not just trying to score some runs. No, he is out for blood. In fact, 1 Peter 5.8 says this. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The word devour doesn't sound good, does it? Like, it doesn't mean that he will poke on you every now and then like an annoying little brother. It doesn't mean that he will sit back and accept his defeat. No, devour means he is out for blood. He is out for you. There is an enemy in this world. His name is Satan, and he is out to devour you, to devour your happiness, to devour, to devour your strength, to devour your confidence, to devour your family, to devour your mental health, to devour your emotional health. He is out for blood. He does not play nice. He is real. And some of you, that should be encouraging because you've been feeling like something was after you. He is. He is out to get you. He is out to devour you. Today, I want to talk about how he does that. My title is A Plan of Defeat. A Plan of Defeat. Last week, we looked at where Satan came from, and so that actually happened before this passage that we're going to look at now. Genesis 3, it's hard to talk about the devil and not talk about this passage because it's one of the few places where Satan literally interacts with humans. But where we're going to pick up the story, God has created the earth. He's created the world. He's created the birds. He's created the fish. He's created the doggies. He's created the kitties. Meow. He's created all. I should have done a bark. That would have sounded more manly. Anyway, he's created all the animals. He's created this beautiful land. He's created Adam and Eve. He's put them in this garden. This beautiful garden where they have perfect relationship with him. The Bible says they walk in the cool of the day with God face to face. They have fruit bountiful, food plentiful. There is no pain. There is no struggle. There is no strife. Everything is perfect. God has them this perfect garden, but he places one tree in the middle of the garden. He says, don't eat from this one. Remember last week we talked about free will that he has to give choice. He had to give Adam and Eve a choice. He had to put the tree there because otherwise he couldn't have a relationship with them because if they had to choose to do what he wanted them to do, that's not love. So he had to give them a choice. He places this tree in the middle of the garden and he says, don't touch that tree. And that's where the trouble starts. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman did say you can't eat from any, you can't eat from any tree in the garden the woman said to the serpent now when every time i read this i'm thinking why in the world is eve talking to a snake like this is a side note but some of y'all if you have a snake talk to you this week don't talk back okay just just some wisdom she says we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. 
three parts to God's plan to devour you. Number one, his plan of attacking your identity. His plan of attacking your identity. You see, like Adam and Eve, you are created by God. God took time to fashion you the way that he wanted to fashion you. The things that you like about yourself, he put in there. The things that you don't like about yourself, he put in there. The things that you wish you could change about your appearance, he made you that. Your very DNA is created by God. You, your identity is always tied to your creator. Take, for instance, a painting. An artist signs the corner of a painting, right? Why? To identify it as, as theirs. A piece of pottery, it always has a name under the bottom. Why? Because it's identified by the person that created it. A, a well-cooked meal. You don't say compliments to the waiter. No, you say compliments to the chef. Why? Because the chef is the one that created it. As God's creation, you are forever tied. Your identity is forever tied to God. Now, if you have a relationship with Jesus, your identity is secure in your relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that when you accept Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, there is nothing that can take you from your identity and being identified as a child of, or a brother or sister in Christ. Satan would want nothing more than to convince you that the one that you're identified with isn't out for your good. That's what he's doing to Eve. He's trying to convince her that her identity, the one that she has her security in, isn't out for her, for her good. So the devil, disguised as a serpent, slithers up to Eve and begins to whisper. Why is he disguised? Because Satan's subtle, isn't he? Like if he was the dude in the, with the pitchfork and the horns and the red cape and he came at you, ah, what would you do? You would run the other way, right? No, Satan is, Satan is more, more subtle than that. He, he, he slithers into your, to your life through, through sometimes people, through sometimes circumstances, but he also whispers. Did God really say that? Is is God really out for your good? So he begins to whisper, he begins to whisper his lies. He whispers to Eve, did God really say that? Have you ever had thoughts like, God doesn't want me to have any fun? Like if, if, God, is, if God is all powerful, why do things in the world look like they do right now? If God is all powerful, why did last week happen? If God, is, if God is my provider, if he cares, me, cares about me, then why do I find myself in this financial spot? And Satan will whisper those lies to you. He will whisper in your ear things that simply aren't true to try to convince you that you're, the one that you are identified with isn't out for your good because when you start to believe that, you will move away from who you truly were meant to be. So he's whispering. He's whispering to Eve and he whispers because he can't read your mind. It's a common misconception about Satan. A lot of people think he can read your mind. He can't read your mind. He's not God. He's not as powerful. He's not, he's not everywhere at the same time. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing, but he can't read your mind, but he can, he can whisper. 
Have you ever had kind of a situation, maybe, maybe it goes like this, maybe you mess up something at work, and so you have just this fleeting thought, I, I stink at my job, I, I, I'm just stupid. Like, I'm always making these mistakes. And then maybe it's a little later on, somebody comes, comes by you at, at work, and what they say almost reinforces the thought that you just had. Maybe even normally on a normal day, it, you wouldn't have even thought about it, but because you had that thought, because you messed up, all of a sudden now you're, you're starting to, to, to really wonder. Maybe the next day you have a bad day and you make another mistake. And so now all of a sudden you have begun to believe the lie that the enemy has whispered into you that you're just a failure, that you're just a mess up, and slowly but surely you are, you are running from the person that you really are. Because did God really ever say that you were just a screw up? No, he said you were my child. He said I created you in my image. Did God really say that you were worthless? No, he never said that. He said you're worth my son. Did God really say that that? That, that you, you have no future? No, he didn't say that. He said, I have plans to give you a hope and a future, but because the enemy whispers and you take it and run with it, then you become convinced of it. And just a side note, I don't think I said this first service, but the things that you allow, the lies that you allow your mind to think through and that you say out loud, you are agreeing with the enemy. When you allow that thought that I messed up, so I must be a total screw-up, when you allow that thought to run through your mind, you will eventually begin to agree with it because you are agreeing with the father of lies. And so what happens sometimes is we can be in a situation where it almost feels good to believe I'm just a screw-up because then we don't think we have to do anything about it. And so what we do is we begin to replay that over and over in our minds. So we say, I'm just a screw-up, and oh, it doesn't matter if I, screw, if I mess up. I'm just a screw-up. And all of a sudden, we've said it out loud, we've verbalized it, and we have agreed with the father of lies, and we have identified ourselves with his lie. And some of you, you've been replaying that for too long. We have a little saying that we tell my son when he messes up. He'll say, ah, I'm, I'm just stupid, or something like that. And we'll say, Riley Pearson. You do not talk about my son like that, and you do not speak lies. You speak truth, and we'll make him say it again. Some of you, you need to say it again. You need to figure out who you truly are because Satan has attacked your identity too long, and you've been replaying it, and you've allowed it to settle, and you've made, you've made an agreement. What Satan is doing with Eve is he's trying to get her to doubt what God said, that God is out for, for her good when you lose what God says about you, you'll believe what the enemy says about you. When you lose sight of your identity, you'll begin to doubt the very faith that you claim you have. And that's, for some of you, that is what he is doing. He's attacked her identity, but he keeps pushing. Look at verse 4, it says, No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact... God knows that when you eat, a, eat it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The second part of the devil's plan, his plan of attacking your serenity. He attacks your identity, and he attacks your serenity. He wants to convince you that you are missing something that everybody else has. Eve, he's saying, God just knows that there's something out there that you should have that he doesn't want you to have. And so he begins 
to attack her serenity, her, her peace, her, her opportunity to know that she's taken care of. He begins to make her wonder, is there something out there that I do want to know? Does, is God really holding something back for me? Like, is there something, is, is there something better out here that I've, that, that I've never known about? And so Satan comes, he speaks to her, and notice that, remember I told you that the garden was full of trees? Do you notice that Satan tells her about the only tree that she can't have? He doesn't mention all of the good stuff that God's given her. He doesn't mention that, he's, that, that, that she's walking face-to-face with her creator. He doesn't mention that she has all of these luscious trees around her, that he has given her a partner. He doesn't mention any of that. No, he says, what about this one tree you can't have? Satan will never remind you of all the good things you have. And some of you this morning, you need to hear that because your mind goes to a place and goes to all of the things that you don't have. And it is convincing you that God is withholding something. And so you're mad at him because you feel like he's withholding something. But it was never meant for you. I mean, just, just take for instance. Most of us in this room, most of you, if you would have asked somebody to make a list of what you would want, or if you were to make a list of what you would have wanted 20 years ago, you have most of what would have been on that list. You have people around you that love you. You drove a car here, or you had a ride to get here. You didn't, most of you didn't walk. You have clothes on. I don't see any naked people. If you're naked, please hide in the back. We got some t-shirts out in the lobby. You have, most of you, if you didn't breakfast this morning was because you chose not to eat breakfast? Most of you, we have everything that we could have ever uh, dreamed of, but yet there's things that we see and things that we desire, and we, it has convinced us, and we have allowed Satan to convince us that God has not taken care of us, even when we have everything we need. Have y'all heard of FOMO? Some of y'all are like, what did he just say? He said that in church. I said FOMO. It means fear of missing out. And it's a real thing in today's culture. That's what Satan's trying to do with Eve right here. He's giving her, trying to give her FOMO. I mean, to, in, in today's world, FOMO has never been easier to get, has it? Because most of the time, some of you, most of, the, most of your time is spent scrolling through a feed trying to see what other people have, what they're doing, what they ate for supper. Can I just say public service announcement? We don't care what you made for supper. It doesn't look that good on Instagram anyway. Well, I'm proud of my cooking. Well, I, we, good, be proud. Post a picture once a week, not every day. But never before has, has FOMO been, been more prevalent than Never before has it been more prevalent than it is today. And what happens is as I'm scrolling and as I'm looking and as I'm thinking, I begin to think about all that they have that I don't have, even though what I have is a lot. So I start to think, is there something really better for me out there? Like if I step away from God and if I go get it myself and if I lose my morals, is there something better out there? Would it be better if I didn't even try anymore? Was the life that I'm trying to leave better because at least I had an escape? E Eve is getting FOMO, and it's because Satan is telling her, 
the one thing that she doesn't have. Meanwhile, there is all of this out here that, that she does have. But she is so concentrated on what she doesn't have. So she begins to doubt God. She begins to lose her serenity. She begins to lose her peace. And she decides, I need that one thing. And she doubts that God has what's best for her. Discontentment comes when you forget all that God's given you. I had a guy at my previous church who was a very wealthy man. A very wealthy man. And I talked to him one day and come to find out he had a porn addiction. And as we were talking through it, one of the things that I began to realize and that he eventually verbalized was I started doing this because I felt like I was missing something. Isn't that crazy? That he could have all of that, everything that you and I would think you need, but yet still feel like he's missing something. Why? Because the devil wants to convince you that there's still something missing and you have to step away from God to find it. And he still does it. Some of you have been there. You've had an emptiness inside of you and you felt like you had to step away from God to find it. Some of you, you've been there, you, you, you had a financial need and you felt like you had to quit giving and you had to step away from God in order to find it. He is attacking your serenity. And he's doing this when Eve had everything she needed. She was literally walking with her creator. She was literally staring God in the face. She had everything she needed. She had everything she could have ever wanted except for that one thing. God is enough, y'all. So Eve is convinced, and she falls for the devil's trap. Look at verse 6. It says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The third part of Satan's plan is his plan of attacking your opportunity. He wants to attack your opportunity to live a joyful and purpose-filled life. He wants to attack your opportunity to actually enjoy your time on this earth. Now, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I'm just going to say it again. If you have a relationship with Jesus, there is nothing that he can do about your eternity. You are sealed, you are delivered into an eternity with God. But he will come after your opportunity to live a fulfilled and purposeful life on this earth. Adam and Eve have now taken the fruit and all of a the sudden they're covered in shame. Whereas they were naked and having fun, all of a sudden, why? Why? Well, what else did you want me to do? I mean, <laughs> I would be. All of a the sudden, they're covered in shame, and they're trying to fix it themselves. Why? Because they stepped outside of what God had for them. They forgot their identity, and they allowed Satan to steal their serenity. And now Satan has taken their opportunity to live the life that God put them in that garden for. Make no mistake about it, y'all. 
Shame is from the devil. Some of you, and I really felt this as I was preparing this week, some of you have been living in shame for so long that you don't even know what it feels like not to. You don't even know who you are anymore. You don't even know what your personality is anymore because you have been toting this thing from your past for so long. Maybe somebody did something to you. Maybe somebody did something to you when you were, when you were little and you didn't deserve it, but yet somehow Satan has convinced you that you should be ashamed of it. Maybe some of you, maybe you did do something in your past. Maybe, maybe you did hurt somebody. Maybe you did leave somebody. Maybe you did make the choice. But can I just tell you today that it's time to drop the shame because it's straight from the pit of hell? The shame that you carry, the things that you walk through life with from your past are not of God. God will convict you and correct you, but he will never shame you. What's the difference? Conviction and correction is about what you did. Shame is about who you are. And some of you, because of something from your past, have been convinced that that thing is who you are because it affects everything you do. So Adam and Eve, they're covering themselves because they're shameful. All of a sudden, what... They were living in freedom and all of a sudden they don't have the freedom anymore because their eyes have been opened to the sin that they just committed. And they're trying, to, they're trying to fix it. Have you ever tried to fix it yourself? Have you ever tried to fix your mistakes? Have you ever tried to fix your shame yourself? And so they try to make coverings, but it's not a good one. And so shame is affected affected them, and this shame actually still affects our, our world today because it was where Satan became, as I said last week, the God of this world. It was, it, was through this, it was through this story. Shame is one of those things that you experience and you feel, but most people never talk about. You ever realize that? Like, even if, even if you do carry a lot of shame from your past, when people ask you how you're doing, even if you come up with something while you're not smiling, it's never about that thing, is it? It's always about something else. And so what shame does is shame makes us afraid to talk about it. And then it becomes a stronghold in our life. Can I just, can I just say, can I just brag on our church for a little bit? That there are churches all across the country today where people walk in shame because they're afraid to share their mistakes, but this isn't one. Can we be thankful that we belong to a church where we are screwed up, but we know it? Because if you never expose the thing you're shameful about, then the enemy can continue to lock you in that stronghold. What's a stronghold? Some of you have been in church for 50 years, and you don't really know what it means. You've just heard it. A stronghold, I came up with a definition. I was proud of it. Y'all ready? A stronghold is a pattern of thinking or a way of behaving that destroys your ability to move forward in faith. The word stronghold is actually used at least 50 times in Scripture. And basically what it, what it is, is it's a pattern or behavior that the devil has essentially locked into your mind that you can't seem to get out of. It's a way of thinking, it's a feeling, and he has so locked it down that you can't change your mind about it, which is why it's important that you expose it. 
We'll talk more about overcoming strongholds next week. Teaser. Y'all coming back? You better now. Y'all, y- y'all better. You, I literally just told you we're going to overcome strongholds next week. And I said, are y'all coming back? And three of you said, yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting paid commission. It's okay. So that's the bad news. Let's talk about some good news. God recognizes what Adam and Eve have done. And then in Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife. And he clothed them. It's the defeat. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. It seems so simple, but it's, it's so huge in the course of Scripture. It's so huge in the course of how God has the power to overcome the enemy. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife. And he clothed them. A lot of biblical scholars think that the animal that he took the skins from would have been a lamb. So essentially what it's doing, it's foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. That a sacrifice would have been required to defeat the enemy and to overcome the shame and to seal our identity and to bring peace and serenity. So essentially what God is doing with that verse is he, he takes an animal, he makes skins, and essentially what your God is doing, and essentially what he is doing now, every time you go to Jesus and what he has done through Jesus, is he is essentially saying, Satan, get away from my child. I've got this. This is on me. This is on my back. They will not be overcome because I will rescue them. He is still doing that today, y'all. He's saying, Satan, I saw your plan I saw what you did, but I'm going to go rescue my people. It's only by the sacrifice of Jesus that Satan is defeated and you are reminded of who you are and that you can find peace in him. So what they tried to do, they tried to cover themselves up, but God makes a better way. Do you know that feeling? When you've tried to do it yourself, and then you finally just let God do it. So he makes skins. He covers them up. Satan will eventually be destroyed because of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, which leads me to a question. A lot of pastors probably wouldn't bring this up because I don't have a perfect answer. If God eventually destroys Satan, what's he waiting on? You ever thought about that? Seriously, y'all give me some feedback. No, I'm just kidding. I've got a, a, couple of, a couple of things that I came across. Here's what I found. John Piper says this. He says, it's so that the glory of God and Christ shines more brightly when we are seen to be supremely satisfied in Christ in spite of Satan's torments, rather than if we had his torment, torments removed and light Christ because of it. Pat Robertson says this, if God just reached out with his power and struck Satan, other created beings could say he did it because he could not win by love. So he had to resort to force and fear. So it comes back to our relationship with Jesus. He's always been about it. He's always been about you. 
If you're in here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he has always been about you. This book is a story of him trying to redeem you, of him chasing after you, of him removing Satan from his power to rob you and to kill you and to destroy you so that you can be redeemed and have a relationship with, with him. It's always been about you. True life is not found where many of you have been looking for it. It's not found where Adam and Eve were looking for it. And it's not found where Satan's trying to convince you it is. It's right with Jesus. It's in surrendering to him that you can know your identity so that Satan can't come and whisper those lies over and over. It's in a relationship with Jesus and following Jesus that you can have serenity and peace in the midst of life's difficulties because life would not be easy, but it will be better. It'll be more peaceful. And it's because of Jesus that you have an opportunity to live a joy-filled and purposeful life, but it takes surrendering to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you probably really relate to what I've been talking about. Jesus is the only one who can fix that. So in the quietness of this moment, if you need to accept Christ, confess Him as your Savior, in your heart, you can say it out loud. It's not magic. It's just, it's not a magical words. It's just a confession to say, Jesus, I surrender. I need forgiveness. I've tried to cover myself, but I can't do it. So I believe you died. I believe you rose for me. I ask you to come into my life. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. James 4, 7 through 8 says this. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This morning, if you feel like Satan's winning the battle in your life, if the shame has crippled you for way too long, it's never too late to come back to Jesus. It's never too late to submit to God. It's never too late to say, I'm coming back home. Today, if you feel like you've lost your identity, your serenity, and your opportunity to live a joy-filled life, Come back home. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he flees. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your power. Thank you for hope. God, as I've wrestled with the plan of the enemy, this week myself, Lord, one of the things that you've reminded me is that what you think about me would never change. The love that you have for me will never waver. 
my identity is secure. God, thank you that that's not just true for me, but it's true for every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to submit to you so that we can recognize the enemy's plan. And Satan, I speak directly to you this morning on behalf of some people that are struggling in the shame of the past, on behalf of people who have bought into the lies that you have whispered into their ear about who they are, and I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. There is freedom inside of them. There is new life inside of them because of what Jesus has done. You have no shot. God, thank you for the amazing opportunity to teach your word to such amazing people. In Jesus' name, amen.